This episode was brought to you by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You are listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 136. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome to another installment of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, scientist by day, writer by night, and podcaster on the weekends. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorcity.com. Each week I bring you a piece of my fiction, as well as an update on my life and my writing. So, let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you part four of my Metamore City novella, Whispers in the Wood. If this is your first time here, go back and listen to episode 133 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Abby Preston and Jaina Starson are closing in on a set of interlocking mysteries, all connected to a priceless violin called Threnody. The violin's owner, Dr. Isaac Wells, has gained a dangerous patron for his music, Alayananshi. A powerful species of fairy, the Leonanchi feeds on Isaac's blood and his life force, but it is also prolonging his life by slowing the growth of an aggressive cancer. The fairy has taught Isaac how to play the violin in such a way that it calls forth the sorrows of the dead. When people hear this music, they feel as if the violin is singing back to them about the most painful moments of their own lives, letting them know they are not alone. Many have found catharsis and healing because of this music. But a fairy's art always has a dark side, and Threnody is no exception. At Lothanasi headquarters, Janus speaks to his operations officer, Candace, who has been leading a team of her fellow lightbringers in researching the violin. A string of people have died mysteriously after contact with the instrument. Its former owner, several wealthy people who expressed interest in buying it from Wells, criminals who tried to steal it, and groupies, who showed an intense personal interest in Isaac himself. Threnody seems to resent anyone who might try to come between Wells and his instrument. Janus is baffled by this last group, because a fairy like the Leonanchi has no reason to be jealous of mortals. Still, the pattern is pretty clear. It's not safe for people who show too much interest in the violin. Janus decides to go check on Abby Preston one more time before daybreak. Meanwhile, by making use of her lucid dreaming talents, Abby has made contact with the Leonanchi, who explained to her how the violin works. The fairy also admitted to killing the four criminals who'd tried to steal the instrument, but that leaves eleven other people who died after hearing Threnody's music, always on the night of the new moon. The fairy told Abby that these others were slain by Threnody. Abby was confused because she thought that the fairy was Threnody. After the Leonanchi departed, Abby turned her attention back to the violin. A cloud of living shadows still swirled around it, and when Abby addressed it as Threnody, it answered, So we have been named? Abby then mused about the obvious follow-up question, Who's we? At this, the shadow beings grew hostile, growing into a monstrous spirit form of red eyes and sharp teeth. Abby fled from the boarding house and back to her own body, the monster coming fast behind her. 
She was saved by Janus, who was waiting for her in the hotel room. Janus used his Lightbringer powers to confront the beast, forcing it to flee. With Janus standing guard and the hotel room now safely warded, Abby fell into a deep and thankfully dreamless sleep. Whispers in the Wood A Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Laster Part 4 October 29th When Abby awoke, Janus was sitting in a chair next to the coffee table. He was speaking quietly into his earpiece and making notes on his pad as he did so. He must have sensed her eyes on him, because he looked up at her almost immediately. Preston's awake, he said. I'll check in after I debrief her. Thanks again, Candace. He tapped a button on his earpiece, then nodded to Abby. Good morning. Thanks to you, Abby said, putting her hands behind her head and arching to stretch the muscles in her back. I don't want to think about what could have happened if that thing had caught me. I have a few suspicions, Janus said grimly. But first, tell me what you learned. Abby ran through the story of her encounters with the Leonanshi and the thing that lived in the violin. Janus listened intently throughout, making notes on his pad as she spoke. So, he said, when she had finished, we have a violin that channels the suffering of the dead, a man with enough latent psychic talent to understand the instrument's potential, a fairy who uses her art to enhance the man's native talent while feeding on his life force, which, incidentally, slows the advance of his cancer and allows him to continue in his work. And then we have... this. He gestured at the door, where he had stopped the shadow's advance. A host of tortured spirits, drawn to the violin and bound by its power. He tapped his pen once against the pad, a short and irritated gesture. That explains the new moon killings. It's the only time of the month when they can manifest strongly enough to harm a person in the flesh. I don't get it, Abby said. Why are they so protective of the violin when it's feeding on their pain? Janus shrugged one shoulder. People want to be understood. They want their pain to be acknowledged by others. Why do you think so many come to hear Wells play? Abby nodded, conceding the point. So the ghosts are getting the same thing out of the concerts that the humans do. They feel like someone understands their suffering. But when someone tries to take the violin away from Wells, or gets more interested in the messenger than the message... Exactly, Janus said. They become jealous. They lash out. And when they're done, another spirit is added to the mob. Abby thought back to the shades that had vanished when they had gotten too close to Threnody. She shivered. It was bad enough seeing the echoes of human souls being sucked into the violin. If that could happen to actual, self-aware spirits as well, it was literally a fate worse than death. How did this get started? Abby asked. I sensed one voice inside Threnody that seemed to be stronger than all the others. Do you think that was the first spirit to bond to the violin? Almost certainly. Candace found something interesting when she looked into the history of the instrument. He took out his earpiece and pressed a button on the side. Candace, please tell Miss Preston what you just told me. Candace's voice came out of a speaker on the side of the earpiece, surprisingly loud and clear. 
There are still some big gaps in the chain of ownership, but I think we found the record of when this thing was made. The violin matches the style of a luthier named Emilio Venturi, 1507-1549. From 1541 until his death, he crafted the Divinities, a set of 18 violins that were supposedly the greatest ever made without the use of magic. Each of the 18 was named for one of the gods, and they were supposed to be able to call up the emotions connected to that deity when they were played. Wow, Abby said. So which one was Threnody? None of them. All 18 are accounted for, Candace said. Four were destroyed, three are held by private collectors, and the rest are in museums. So he made another one that wasn't part of the series? Yep. In 1543, Venturi's wife committed suicide. Nobody knows why. Apparently Venturi went nuts for a while, locked himself in his workshop, wouldn't talk to anybody. He stopped working on the divinities and made another violin for his dead wife, said it would be her voice from beyond the grave. The violin had a strange red color when it was finished, and some people said he used his wife's blood in the varnish. Abby shuddered. Whatever he did, I guess it worked. He had help, Candace said dryly. Venturi died three months shy of his 42nd birthday, which was young even for back then. They say he aged rapidly while he was working on the divinities, and died only a month after finishing the last of them. His funeral was attended by a tall elven woman with red hair and green eyes. And elves don't have red hair, Janus said grimly. Three guesses as to who she was. The Leonanchi, Abby sighed. No wonder she's interested in the violin. She helped make it. And it explains why the violin is able to capture souls without appearing to be magical, Janus said. The fairy wasn't drawing on mortal magic when she and Venturi made it. She was drawing on the Newman. Abby and Janus looked at each other. We have all the pieces now, Abby said. Except one. Why did... Candace, what was Venturi's wife's name? Rosanna, Candace said. Why did Rosanna kill herself? Abby spread her hands in front of her. Her spirit's the key to the whole thing. I could feel it. If I can get through to her, separate her out from that... that monstrosity that she's gotten turned into, maybe I can untangle the whole mess and get those spirits moved into the afterlife where they belong. Janus stroked the stubble on his chin. Abby had never seen him with stubble before. She didn't think it suited him. Candace, what's the projection if we destroy the violin? Not great, Candace said glumly. Our diviners give us a 40% chance that the spirits get released to the afterlife, a 40% chance that they find something new to attach themselves to, and a 20% chance that the spirits go revenant and try to kill us all. She paused, then added, No bets on what the fairy will do. She might not care, or she might wreak vengeance on you and yours for the next ten generations. Hard to say. What about containment? Abby asked. Could you throw it in a vault or something? Maybe, but that only delays the problem, Janus said. I don't want to bury the violin for another four hundred years and risk someone forgetting why we held on to the thing. He added, in a softer voice. Besides, there are the spirits themselves to consider. They're being held captive by a force they don't understand that does nothing but remind them of their pain. They deserve to be set free. Abby looked at Janus with newfound respect. For once, I agree with you completely, she said. Now, let's figure out how to save them. 
preferably without getting me killed in the process. When Isaac Wells opened the door to his flat, Abby thought he was actually going to run for it. The thought certainly passed through his mind, and Abby couldn't blame him. Janus cut an impressive figure in his Lothanasi uniform, the spellweave fabric glistening white in the dim light of the hallway. The golden insignia of the twin cross in his sleeves left no doubt about whom Wells was dealing with. Dr. Isaac Wells, Janus said. The aging man stared at him for two full seconds, then slumped, defeated. He sighed. Yes, agent. I suppose you'll want to come in, then. If you would be so kind. There are some urgent matters we would like to discuss with you. Wells shot a look at Abby. The sense of betrayal he felt was obvious, but Abby met his eyes without flinching. Please, Professor, she said. You need to hear this. He looked at her a moment longer, then back at Janus. His back straightened a little as he tried to recover some of his dignity. Very well, then. He opened the door and stood aside. Janus went in first and circled the sitting area, laying down a set of iron nails and drawing signs of warding between them with his fingertips. The sigils glowed blue-white against the wooden floor as Wells and Abby took seats opposite each other. What is he doing? Wells murmured, as Janus drew a more elaborate set of symbols around Threnody's display stand. These were interspersed with silver coins about the size of a quarter mark, with the symbol of the twin cross engraved on them. Abby didn't sense any reaction from the violin, but that was not particularly surprising. It was about noon, and the spirits would be at their weakest. Just making certain that we are not interrupted, Janus said as he laid the last of the symbols and took the seat next to Abby. There are facts of which your mistress might prefer that you remain unaware. Wells's eyes widened. Abby could see him consider denying everything, but he must have realized that playing dumb would be useless. What do you know about her? he asked. I think that first we'd better hear what you know about her, Abby suggested, so we can figure out how guilty you actually are. Wells looked down at his hands. It took him a few seconds to find his voice. She came to me in my dreams at first, he said, about a week after the doctors diagnosed that my illness was terminal. She told me that I had a great gift, one that I could use to do great things with her help. She showed me a picture of this pawn shop near the university. That's where I found her. He looked up at them, and Abby could see the tears in his eyes. Understand, I've been playing the violin my whole life. For a while I tried to make a career of it, but... He sighed. The opportunities were never there. I ended up as a professor of music history instead. Most of the time I enjoyed it, but... I always wanted to be the one in front of the audience. Musicians could stir people's hearts, make them feel... As a professor, all I could do was engage their minds. A mirthless laugh. And often not even that. The lady promised to change that. And she did. Abby looked over at Janus, but the Lightbringer was still gazing intently at Wells. What did you give her in exchange? Wells wrung his hands. Well, 
She wanted an audience, of course. The work had to have my undivided attention. I retired from the university, sold most of what I owned, and went where she led me. I was already almost broke from the doctor bills, so it wasn't as if there was much holding me down. He shrugged. We'd come to a new city, play for a few weeks, and I'd save for my next train ticket. When she said it was time to move on, we moved on. Did she ask you for anything else? Janus pressed. Wells hesitated. During the first few concerts, the response from the audience wasn't as great as I'd been hoping for. I could see the potential, could feel it when I played, but somehow it wasn't reaching the people in the seats. I thought there was something wrong with me. She said there wasn't, but that we weren't as close as we needed to be. She said she needed to know me better if we were going to work well together. So she asked for my name. From the way he said it, Abby could tell that he knew how dangerous it was. Even if he hadn't known he was dealing with a fairy, giving your name to any kind of supernatural creature was just asking for trouble. This was my lifelong dream, he said, his tone pleading. I was already dying, and I'd done so little in my life that felt like it mattered to anyone. So what if I gave her a mortgage on my soul? What had I ever done with it that was worth a damn? He shook his head. She gave me the chance to help people. I took it. Silence fell across the table for a long moment. Dr. Wells, Janus said, are you aware that your instrument has been connected to the deaths of fifteen people over the past year? Wells stared at him. Fifteen? He whispered. I... She killed to protect me a few times. Violent men, criminals. I never reported it to the police because I was afraid they'd take her away from me. But not fifteen, not that many. You're right, Abby said quickly. I spoke to your lady last night while you slept. She admitted to killing four men who tried to hurt you. But the lady who appears to you in your dreams isn't Threnody. And Threnody has secrets she hasn't told you. Wells looked back and forth between her and Janus. Perhaps you'd better tell me your side of the story now. Janus glanced at Abby, his eyes questioning. Abby nodded. He really doesn't know, she said. Together, they told Wells what they had learned about the history of the violin and the spirits bound to it. The old professor listened with increasing anxiety. By the time they had finished, his hands were shaking. I had no idea, he whispered, his eyes fixed on the violin where it stood in the corner. I'd always suspected Threnody was a Venturi violin. All the signs were there. But to think that he would imprison his own wife's spirit in some kind of twisted homage to her. To be fair, he probably didn't know that was how it worked, Abby said. He just wanted a way to give voice to his wife's pain, and the Leonanchi knew how to do it. Fairies have a habit of twisting people's wishes around. Including mine, Wells muttered. He blinked the tears out of his eyes, then looked back at Janus. How can we make this right, Agent Stawson? I don't know if we can, Janus admitted. Miss Preston needs to make contact with the spirit of Rosanna Venturi and find out how to release her. 
It's likely that the bond between her and the violin is what is holding the other spirits in place. Free her and the others should follow. Wells grimaced. Threnody doesn't like strangers. Miss Preston could be harmed. I think we can use you as a bridge, Abby said. If you can open up a link to Threnody, then I can link up with you and talk to her through that connection. Um, link up? Wells asked, carefully. Abby grinned sheepishly. Sorry, I'm a telepath. Did we forget to mention that? Wells cleared his throat. <clears throat> yes, actually. But no matter. He turned to Janus. Will it break your circle if I bring Threnody over here? Janus rose to his feet. Yes, but we aren't going to accomplish anything more by sitting here talking. Do what you have to. I'll make sure you aren't disturbed. He drew a lemisil from its sheath and took up a position by the door. The elven sigils on the blade glowed a soft yellow. Wells looked at the sword, swallowed visibly, then carried Threnody over to the couch. Cradling the violin like a newborn, Wells took a deep breath and closed his eyes. He grew very still, so much so that Abby wondered if he had fallen asleep, but when she brushed the surface of his mind, he responded immediately. Not yet, he told her silently. Abby waited. When about five minutes had passed, Wells twitched two fingers in her direction. Taking the invitation, Abby slipped into his mind. She sensed the multitude of spirits lingering at the edges of perception, angry and suspicious. One stood apart from the others, closer to Wells and stronger in his mind. In her mind's eye, Abby saw the woman take shape. A Pyralian lady, slender and elegant, with a strong nose and dark hair braided in a very old style. Her skin was unnaturally pale, as if all the blood had been drained from her body. A glowing red chain ran from her ankle to the violin. Her dark eyes burned with anger as she recoiled from Abby's presence. What is she doing here? she demanded. She wants to talk to you, Wells said in a soothing tone. The ghost didn't seem interested in being soothed. She lunged at Abby, her fingernails lengthening into claws. Scheming bitch! You can't have him! I'll tear out your heart! Abby summoned a shield of thought and blocked the attack easily. Threnody might be deadly at night, but at midday she was weak and vulnerable. Abby caught the ghost's hands between her own and held them. I don't want him, she said. I'm not here for your maestro. I'm here for you, Rosanna Venturi. The ghost went still in an instant. She stared at Abby in open astonishment. You know my name? she whispered. Abby smiled kindly at her. I do. I want to help you, Rosanna. Rosanna frowned and pulled her hands out of Abby's grasp. Her fingernails were back to normal. How can you help me? she asked. Her tone was bitter, as if she didn't really believe that anyone would even want to help her, much less actually be able to do it. By listening, Abby said. Listening to your story. Nobody's ever done that before, have they? People hear you singing about your pain, but all they ever hear is their own. Nobody really knows you. She spread her hands in invitation. Well, I'm here now. 
I'll hear your story, Rosanna Venturi, if you'll share it with me. Rosanna turned away from her, took a step, then paused. After a long moment, she turned halfway back so that Abby was looking at her face in profile. She bowed her head. You would know my pain? she asked softly. I would. The ghost nodded once, as if to herself. She stretched out a hand to Abby without looking at her. Come with me, then. The other spirits whispered in agitation at that, and a few of them let out snarls of jealousy. Rosanna quelled them with a look. Abby stepped forward and took her hand. Instantly she was transported elsewhere, and at last the final piece of the puzzle fell into place. And that's the end of part four. Come back next week for part five, when Rosanna shares her story with Abby and a great many others. Anne Lamott said, I heard a preacher say recently that hope is a revolutionary patience. Let me add that so is being a writer. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up. So, light a candle with me and join me for the weekly writing report. I thought this would be the week when I got back on the horse, riding-wise. Today, I have to stand here and admit to you that I didn't get it done. I spent several hours this week working on editing audio, mostly for the Patreon feed. I've been behind on releasing my audio commentary episodes, so this week I edited a bunch of those and queued them up for release. When it comes to writing new fiction, though, I blew it. I don't really know why it's been so hard for me to get back into this. It's not just my writing, either. Everything feels like it's taking me longer to get done, whether it's cooking or cleaning or walking the dogs. Maybe I haven't been sleeping well. Maybe the shortness of the winter days is getting to me. Whatever's going on, I clearly need a new game plan. Something to jumpstart my engines and get me moving again. Has anybody else had this problem? If so, have you found a way to solve it? Send me a message and let me know. We have a new patron at the Patreon campaign this week. Please welcome Bruce. If you like what I'm doing here on the podcast, becoming a patron is the single best way to help me keep doing it. By making a monthly pledge, you can give me the assurance of an ongoing steady stream of income from my writing. That's become a hard thing for writers to get any other way. Amazon's algorithms have a lot of control over whether people even see my books, and they're not exactly forthcoming about how they work. On top of that, The Lost and the Least showed up on several pirate sites within 24 hours after it was released. So, making money directly from book sales is a tough nut to crack, and it's not getting any easier. Becoming a patron lets you support my creative endeavors directly, on an ongoing basis. For just $3 a month, you can get access to bonus art, story previews, sneak peeks, and other cool stuff. Plus, every patron gets my special Behind the Episode podcast, where I talk about the inspirations, Easter eggs, and ideas behind each story. It's author commentary you can't get anywhere else. So, if you want to join up, go to patreon.com slash author chris lester. 
take a look at the reward tiers and set a pledge that works for you. And for all of those who are already pledging, thank you so much. You folks are the ones who make it possible for me to keep doing this. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Mastodon handle is at author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2009 and 2018 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org. <laughs>